Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And occasionally, we drink wine. Both of us. Yes. It's been a while since we both had wine. One of those evenings, yes. Mm -hmm. hmm. What are you drinking, Tom? The other day, we opened up a bottle of Chianti. We did not have fava beans or anyone's brains. Oh, I'm sorry for making that noise into the microphone (laughs) so loudly. I'm sorry, listeners. Uh, We did go to Italy and get some lovely pork loin, which is, I think, what prompted the Chianti. uh, (laughs) Hold up, hold up. up. Is that a place that you visited called Italy? Or is that just how you're pronouncing the the country Italy? (laughs) We did go to Italy. No, no, no. I'm not doing a horrible accent. That is not even a real accent. Uh, it's Mario Batali's grocery store. Oh, Italy. I've, I've been, you know, I think I went to, I went to one of his restaurants in New York one time and I think there was an Italy connected to it. There is an Italy in New York. I think that might be the first one. Mm. He also has them in Italy, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is really which funny. seems unnecessary. Because <laughs> the kind of the point of Italy is you go in there and you're like, ooh, look at all these cool things from Italy that we can get. That we normally can't get, except if you're in Italy, not sure. Not sure, sure how that's he, gonna. What he's offering you there? Yeah, maybe it's like, like oh, you're in the Florence. Here are these great like Sicilian things you don't normally get up in Florence. I don't know. I don't know either, but that's cool. Um, good, good Chianti. It's a nice Chianti. It's a nice it's an Chianti. Imasi e- e- 2009. I am drinking some wine, which is the, that's the name. It's called some wine. Thanks. And uh, it's a, I was in uh, at BevMo the other mm-hmm. night and I noticed a bottle that was drawn in the style of some e-cards. And I was like, that's funny. And then I looked at the bottle and I'm like, this is actually the same people. And oh, really? the bottle, the, the label said, the label just said red wine. It says, this wine goes great with more of this wine. <laughs> and I was like, this seems right up my alley. And so my plan was, yeah, my plan was I didn't have any bottles of wine at home that were just like cheap, like Mm -hmm. drinkable, had a screw top on them. In the tradition of two buck chuck. You know, just something I could open like on a Saturday just to have a glass of wine and not feel like I needed to make an event of it. Right, right. And um, so I bought that and my plan was to make mulled wine with it. Oh, yeah. Because I had this box of mulling spices from a few years ago. Remember well, when they made mulled wine at your house? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that was good stuff. This is not. No, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. This is not good. Um, oh, no. And I'm not sure whether it's because of the wine, which I didn't try before I cooked it, mm. or if it's because the mulling spices are expired by three years and also mm, meant be. for apple cider. That really <laughs> probably is it. 
Because it's really sour. Being old should just make them not taste they're much at spices. all. They're spices. Like, they're not going to yeah. go that bad. They're in independent little containers. But apple cider has a lot more sugar in it, so the sour of the spices. Yeah. Might, yeah. 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 So I think that's what the problem was. I was like, mmm, this is not good, but I have to drink <laughs> it now. So that's what I'm doing. All right. You're <sighs> drinking awful mold wine. Some wine has uh, four varieties right now. They have a Chardonnay that says, this is perfect wine for drinking in your nicest sweatpants. Mm. They have a Pinot Noir that says, keep your friends close and your glass of wine closer. Mm -hmm. And coming soon, they have a Cabernet Sauvignon that says, this wine is great for drinking on holidays and all other days. (laughs) So I just, I got a kick out out of these bottles. So anyway, uh, that's our wine segment. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to the quick burns. Let's do it. Uh, via Silvana and Louise posts in the quick burns thread on Goodreads, uh, we have the following, uh, which I have rewritten in my own voice. And okay. If you listen to Current Geek and it sounds just like what I wrote for Current Geek, that's totally true. Amazon announced it has acquired the global TV rights to Lord of the Rings and intends to produce a multi-season TV series in cooperation with New Line Cinema. Those are the folks who did the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies. The Tolkien Estate will be on board as well, as will Collins, the publisher of the books. The series will explore storylines preceding mm. the Fellowship of the Ring. So not Silmarillion, apparently. I guess Appendix stuff but events leading up to the Fellowship of the Ring uh, includes a rights to a possible spinoff series if the first one goes well. And the whole reason they're able mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. this, apparently, is that 93-year-old Christopher Tolkien officially retired from managing the Tolkien estate on August 31st. And he he was opposed to even Peter Jackson doing Lord of the Rings, but those rights had been tied up in the 60s when his dad was still alive, so he couldn't do anything about it. Man, he was crotchety AF. Yeah. Like, for reals. Like... We talked about when he retired, so we knew that this was going to open up a lot of doors. Um, And here we are. The the very early fruits of that retirement is that we are getting something uh, in the TV world. The fact that New Line Cinema is involved gives me hope that it will be a good style. I liked what they did style wise with Lord of the Rings. And, and, you know, Peter Jackson gets most of the credit for that. But I, I feel like that'll help keep the production consistency uh, there. I love the idea of maybe doing the battle. This is my total conjecture doing the battle of against Sauron that happened the first time, right? Mm, where the, mm-hmm. where the ring was lost. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be cool. Like, or the event, the events leading up to that battle. And with the Kings. Yeah. Yeah. All the different, with the fall of the nine Kings. Yeah. And yeah, because we all, the problem with prequels is, well, you know what's going to happen. So if it's just like, here's uh, Bilbo before he went off to find the ring. It's like, that's too close, too boring. You need something with stakes, and that would have stakes, even if you know how it's going to turn out. Mm, stakes. Mm-hmm. And wine. And wine. Perf- and perf- red wine. <laughs> yeah. Nokomis.fl says the trailer for Ava DuVernay's adaptation of Madeline L'Engle's book, A Wrinkle in Time, has gone out. I saw this actually in the movie theater. In oh, the movie did. theater. Oh. Uh, when I went to go see Coco. Mm. Mm. Um, Coco. Hold up. Was it Los, was it Bueno? It was what? Yes, it was it was very good. Um Fue Bueno. You know what 
Okay. Do you know what wasn't good, Tom? No. What? You know what was bad about that experience? What? The like 15 minute long frozen short that they uh, yeah. showed before. Brian was Have you heard about that too? Yeah. It was the worst thing I've seen in a very long time. It was really? bad. Really? It was that bad? It was huh? very bad. It's pretty long for a short. Like it's I mean, almost a medium at 15 like, minutes. Pixar does an amazing job with their shorts. Like the one before Moana about mm-hmm. the, that was beautiful. I cried. Yeah, yeah. Like they have some amazing, amazing shorts and just to stick some like holiday frozen crap, like Ooh, it crap. was, it Ooh. was bad. Frozen crap too, which yeah. doesn't stink as much. You know I what guess. the pro- part of the problem for me is I hate Olaf and it's Olaf centric. Ah, uh, that's, that could be, that could be the issue. It might not be bad intrinsically, just wrong for you. It felt weird. It felt mm-hmm. weird. But anyway, that's a but total, total. That has nothing to do with the Wrinkle, the wrinkle in Time, time trailer, time which looked, looked amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Jinx, you owe me bounce, a Coke. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Yeah. All it was... of, that's, that's the only thing I remember from the film strip version of this, which was my first exposure to the story in grade school, <laughs> was the kids coming out all from their identical houses and bouncing the ball. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I maybe I need to reread this. It's been a long time. I think that would be fun to do. Yeah. Um, hmm. When does this come out? Uh, next year. Yeah. Do we have a story here? <laughs> oh, like maybe I think, March. I feel like it was spring. Maybe the January book could be. Time. Yeah, it comes ooh. out March 9th. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was spring. Very cool. See, this is the question. Do you do the... If you pick a book to go with a movie like this, do you pick it ahead of the movie or do you pick it in the same month as the movie? Mm. Well, yeah, because, I mean, if it comes out on the 9th, we'll probably be spoiling ourselves for the yeah. book. I think we do it. We, maybe we do it in January. That's not, fe- February. Con- that's not a confirmed pick Fe- yet. February, right? Or is that well, your no, February? You've, you've, is got, your... you've got California Bones in December, by the way. That's the pick. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's up on the Patriot. It's on the good. But then week. January. But then there's a month before March. That's called February. No, you have the December pick, right? Wouldn't Wrinkle in Time be sci-fi? Yeah, I guess so. Would be a laser pick. I'm, that's why I'm thinking January. Mm. February well, would be a done, fantasy. We've pick. done that before. We've shifted around we to make allowances. You're right. No, you're totally right. So we could we'll, put it in February so that it's close. That when, actually hold makes up. more when sense. When is when is Mary Shelley Frankenstein happening? That's March. Okay, so that works. Yeah. No, right. good memory. Uh, the anniversary. I've had this in the dock for like three years now. Uh, March pick will be Frankenstein. I'll just say that right now. We can't mess that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not going to mess that Don't up. We're talking about that, that in public. If we try to pick another often. book in March, like just yell at us. Yeah, just until be like, what stop. even? You have a dock for this. You made the dock <laughs> specifically for this purpose. It says Frankenstein, 200th anniversary in March 2018. It's been on line 35 of the dock. It's been there for. 11 years i mean really it's been there longer than the show (laughs) it was the first thing we did (laughs) i mean really this whole thing this whole enterprise was an excuse (laughs) to read frankenstein in i wandered by veronica's desk at cnet in 2018 and i said hey you know what march 2018 is 200th anniversary of mary shelley's frankenstein we should start a book club we should devote a massive portion of our (laughs) professional and personal lives 
<laughs> towards to developing a book club so that we can pick that book in March 2018. I would I would say building a a genre fiction empire of sorts. Oh, I think so. But to to yeah. support the reading of of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in March no, of 2018. March, I think we're just done. I think that I think might just be the reading. end. I'm going to keep reading. Okay. Well, you can oh, keep you reading. Oh, you know what we don't have in the rundown that I'm going to audible. I'm going to call an audible here. Okay. Not a sponsor. Uh, we are going to be on Nate Langson's text message podcast in early December discussing the book Contact. Yes, that is true. Uh, what day was that supposed to be? Because I thought it was well, supposed to be the 16th, and then now it's gone from my calendar. Well, the so. day we record is not the day he posts, but yeah, it's there uh, in the morning. We were it recording in the morning on calendar. Saturday. December 16th. It's not on my calendar. Okay. You're oh. invited. You've I know. even accepted. I accepted. And now it's just not. Fantastic Alc sometimes decides it doesn't want me to do things. This is why I don't use these fancy new things that <sighs> you're always telling me are great. This is becoming a boring episode for listeners. I apologize. I'm so tired. I'm just so, so very, very tired. Okay. Here's your assignment, listeners. At this point, give us a percentage of how much you were bored in the thread for this on Goodreads. That's not nice. I don't want to read that. I don't want to hear these things. It's going to make me feel bad. Let me know. I need to keep going. I I need forward momentum. I don't think they are. Uh, Alex wrote good news for Brandon Sanderson and fans of the Stormlight Archive. Uh, Brandon Sanderson published the following. I'm humbled and honored to say that because of all you wonderful readers out there, Oathbringer is the number one New York Times bestselling hardcover book on the 1203 list. I hope you've enjoyed reading it. And following up on that, John Taloni said, I went over to see how it was doing on the USA Today list, and it is a very respectable number three there. Then I noticed installment 12 of Diary of a Wimpy Kid is number four and had hit number one. Uh, It's like Jeff Kinney has a license to print money and Andy Weir's Artemis is charting at number eight. Fantastic. Um, There was a a funny happening here in San Francisco, actually, Um, for uh, a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, Brandon uh, Sanderson came into town and did a book signing at Borderlands. And they had like maybe 200 RSVPs or something. Uh-huh. Almost 500 people showed up. Oh, wow. And they were spilling out into the street. Right. Because the RSVP rule is not as many people as RSVP will actually show up. Right. But the Brandon Sanderson corollary is, unless it's Brandon unless Sanderson. Unless it's for Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> in which case, double that number, plus yeah. some, and then yeah. have the fire marshal come and like basically have to like stop people from coming in at the door. Wow. Um, actually, I think the fire marshal didn't come, but they did have someone who used to, there was like a, a someone's friend who was like an ex-cop or an ex-fireman who actually like stood at the door and like said, okay, we can do one in, one out from now on because we're mm-hmm. at our max limit. And that was the biggest day. That was also their biggest day at Borderlands. Wow. And, That's great. Yeah. And that was uh, the night before had been like the 20th anniversary party. And that had oh. been their biggest day. And then uh-huh. Brandon Sanderson showed up and just like blew it out of the water. So that's so cool. I'm yeah. so glad Borderlands was if you followed the show, you know, they were on the cusp of going out of business. Uh, and it is the home of the sword and laser in-person meetup that Veronica does in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Not only are they saved, but now they're like kicking it. It's great. Yeah. And they got a. Did I tell you that they got a new building? So now it's yeah, going yeah. to be, yeah, they're, they're going to move the bookstore up to, uh, upper hate, um, but keep the cafe and the mission. So that's awesome. Travis says science fiction triggers poor reading study finds. Mm, okay. 
Mm. Travis says, that's what the headline reads. But then when you read the article, it turns out that lots of people are biased against sci-fi. And those people don't read it as carefully when they do as they do realism, which like, duh, he says, identifying a text as science fiction makes readers automatically assume it is less worthwhile in a literary sense and thus devote less effort to reading it. Hmm. So readers of science fiction appear to have expected an overall simpler story to comprehend, an expectation that overrode the actual qualities of the story itself, because science fiction is not simpler. This is, you know, Guardian did a little clickbait headline to get us sci-fi fans enraged. Uh, Science fiction triggers poor reading. Mm -hmm. Trying science fiction does not trigger poor reading. What it means is that science fiction carries an expectation that's different than what you get. Yeah, I, I mean, this this kind of clickbaity stuff really drives me nuts. But I, immediately, as soon as I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is because the people just don't respect science fiction as well as as regular fiction. Well, and the one thing about this story is they did it around science fiction and they gave it to people, all kinds of, you know, random sampling of people. So people mm-hmm. who didn't like science fiction were told to read this story. You could do the same st- study with romance. Right. Absolutely. And my guess is you'll get a very similar result. Yeah, and if you fill the study with people who watch vaginal fantasy or what have you, then it's Mm going to be very different results. So I, I, yeah, but that's, uh, it is interesting to see like how reading comprehension kind of drops if you don't care about the subject. Yeah, I I think it's a kind of, it's not a poorly designed study, but it's a very limited study when you just say, let's give science fiction a random sampling of people and see see how they do with it. It doesn't tell you as much as if you said, let's give people, let's find out what people like, mm-hmm. then let's give them a Western, a romance, and a science fiction story, and let's see generally how well they read it, and then also, like, if is their expressed appreciation of something affect their ability to read it. I mean, I'd like to know all of that. Yeah, well, you can do a study. Just do a yeah. study. Well, you know what? I haven't actually read the paper, which is called The Genre Effect. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say it doesn't do that. Maybe mm. that's what they did. I'm just mm-hmm. going on the Guardian story. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes now, you have to science dig fiction manipulation decreases inherent inference effort, reading comprehension, and perceptions of literary merit. So it was specifically about science fiction. Gotcha. I just clicked through the abstract. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Not a ton of stuff this week. It is the uh, previous holiday week, so you guys are probably, for for those of you in America, uh, doing holiday-type stuff. Uh, But this one comes from Taurus, who says, uh, Books with main characters collaborating with Dark Side of Fantasy Universe. Mm-hmm. There is this thing I have, he says. I can't blindly pop even great books for my two-read stack. I usually spend a lot of time finding that's something that I'm in the mood for at the moment. But right now, I'm all set. I want to have a character who collaborates with dark circles of fantasy world. It can just be a necromancer, demonologist story, but in the ideal setting, the undead and demons, or some very nasty dark elves, huh, would be considered valid political factions, not just a never-ending threat to all races. And the main characters would work for or with them, slash have connections inside those factions, slash be dedicated to help them pursue their goal. It would be nice if the characters themselves were from some less evil factions. So please, what can you recommend to me? 
Uh, Tom is lifting up good omens. That is definitely one thing that uh, popped into mind for me. I Yeah, because although it's a, got a little more good than he's describing here, mm-hmm. it has everything else that he wants. Factions that are not purely evil, working to cross party lines, you know, for the benefit, even rebelling against your faction. It's all in there. It's all in good omens. Yeah. I would also say um, the Kate Daniels series um, by Alona Andrews, I think, mm-hmm. um, was uh, has vampires in the world that are a definitely a dark force and do their own evil stuff, but they do sometimes work with them. In, in certain ways to fight greater evils, perhaps. Um, but there's definitely like animosity there. Uh, Trike recommended Peter V. Brett's Demon Cycle, uh, which I have not read, but I've heard nothing but good things. And The Warded Man is the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's another good choice. There's a lot of great choices. This is one of those threads I love because I don't recognize most of the things, which means I've hit a gold mine of new stuff to read. Of new stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had... Um, Allison recommended Sabriel, which I've heard of. Um, She says, it's a sort of interesting take on good and evil. She's a necromancer, but for the side that wishes to separate the dead from the living. It's listed YA, so it's not a terribly complex story, but not the kind of YA with long, introspective scenes about love triangles. All right. Everybody loves to hate on YA. (laughs) I know. And then other people, uh, a couple people mentioned, as Allison did, Sandman Slim. Um, And then there was reference to Fated, which is about a magical world where the dark side is a valid, respected, pseudo-political religious decision. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Also, Taurus says, thanks, I just realized that Sandman Slim exactly matches my description. I actually have it in my list, but did not consider it as I would like it to be a separate world, not urban (laughs) fantasy. This is like, okay, well, then I guess Kate Daniels doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Good Omens wouldn't work because that's Earth. Okay. Although it's not urban fantasy, so... Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. He says yeah. Retribution Falls and Sabriel look very promising. All right. Good recommendations. If you guys know anything else you want to recommend, uh, send a note to feedback at swordandlaser.com or send us a tweet at swordandlaser. Speaking of tweets, go ahead. You want to read this one? Sean Yukin said, I was listening to the Smooth Robberator episode where someone was asking for Western fantasy, and I wanted to mention the Wax and Wayne books by Brandon Sanderson. They are definitely worth reading. I have not Western read those. Western fantasy meaning westerns like cowboys and yes, dust, yes. not western like northern North America, Europe. Right. Yes. Yeah. Not like western civilizations. Right. But like western wild like west shoot 'em ups. Totally. <laughs> I've heard. Speaking of that, I've he- I've heard some. Uh, uh, what's the name of that show? Have you watched that show? That western show on Netflix, the new one that's supposed to be about a town of women. It's not fantasy, so this is not. Anyway, this is a, a stupid yeah. tangent. A town can have women. That is not a fantasy. No, it's only. It's supposed to be only. Well, I'm uh-huh. saying it's not fantasy because we are a science fiction and fantasy show, and this is right. not a fantastical not a fan- television show of any kind. Yeah. Uh, got apparently, it. it's a big letdown, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I was excited I've about a new Western show. The good so. Place, which is kind of fantasy. I kind of enjoyed that. I, I felt like. A lot of How people. How far did I, you go in it? Only the first two or three episodes. I did exactly the same really? thing. And I then I pee. I'm like, eh, it's funny, but whatever. And I fell out of it. And then everybody's like, no, 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 no. You got to keep <laughs> you watching. Keep with it. So I'm like, all right. So I had you know time to kill. I'm like, all right, I'll watch it on Netflix because uh, they have season one there. And 
after like four episode four and five, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm starting to be intrigued by this. And not only does the story get more compelling, like with not even not cliffhangers, but like at the end of each episode, you're like, oh, I really want to find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. But it's also very clearly underpinned by somebody who was a philosophy major in the writer's room because they work in Kant and 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 Mitchell and like like all of these philosophical ethics masters just kind of work in and and I was a minor in philosophy so I'm like yeah that sounds right like somebody knew what they were doing <laughs> all right I'll, I'll, maybe I'll give it a little more of a shot um I, we don't I have like enough Bell. philosophy fiction on that's TV. there you go perfect all right. Well, now it is time for our book of the month discussion, and uh, we will get into spoiler territory with uh, last thoughts on Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. Um, but should I announce the the pick for for December? Yes. I guess you already spoiled it. I sort of did. Yeah. It's uh, California Bones by Greg Van Eckhout. And uh, he like came up in a writer's group with all sorts of great people like Paolo Bacigalupi, Um he did a great interview on the tour blog uh, with Scalzi about this book. Um, these came out a few years ago. Uh, so all of the books in the in the three book series um, about Daniel Blackhand are are out already. So you don't have to worry about like waiting around for the next one. Um, and I have to admit, I already started reading it. I finished it, and now I'm halfway through you the second finished one. It? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> what not, happened to you? I used to count read. on you to be like almost as slow a reader as I am. Yeah, I've been kind it of cranking through things recently. Yeah, and it's it's an easy, fun, like entertaining, uh, kind of scary at times um, read. And I really liked it. And I'm, I'm super glad that someone, someone in the Sword and Laser group, uh, in-person group, recommended it to me. And I had put it on my to-read list. And I'm like, I, I read the description over again. I was like, ooh. I like the idea of like an alternate universe, Southern California situation and the world building sounded really interesting and the magical system sounded really interesting. It's all about osteomancy. Um, so you actually, in order to, in, in order to absorb the magical essence of these magical creatures that exist in this world or previously existed, you have to eat their bones. And there may be other ways we learn later to also absorb the essence of these magical creatures Could or there be whatever but musculomancy <laughs> i don't know a brainomancy but it's it's super it's it's really well written and the characters are well developed and i'm i'm excited to talk about this with you guys yeah uh when when you're like book about southern california that's run by an evil wizard and is a kingdom alternate it's like alternate history where i live mm-hmm uh, and, and, and bone eaten magicians. I was 100% in from the beginning reading it. And I'm not even a third of the way through, I think at this point, I, I hate, I'm starting to sound very one note because when we were reading, um, the, the last book and I, uh, not doomsday book, the one before I was like, Oh, I, I was in London when this happened. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was in New York and well, now you're just there because you live there. It is everywhere <laughs> I am. They well, go me, to the far, farmer's market at the Grove. Yeah, they go right, to the Santa Monica Pier. Hold on, hold Daniel on. lives in my neighborhood. Yeah, I know. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I just heard that this morning. I was and like, let me tell you, uh, if you're not a fan of the hipsters in Silver Lake, this is the book for you. <laughs> I haven't got to Silver Lake yet. That's great. Because 
Shit goes down in Silver Lake, let me tell you. I got really um, excited about when he mentioned Abbott Kinney, uh, which is, it's a street of hipsters here on the west side of LA, but it's also the name of the person who designed the Venice Canals. Right. And I love the idea that the Venice Canals are still in existence, and I won't say anything more, okay. you know, at the yeah. risk of spoiling anything, but I love what they did with that. Yes. Yeah, that is super interesting. And there's essentially a war going on between, you know, Southern California, the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom, which is basically the Bay Area and everything up here. Um, And then the United States, which is a separate entity from both Mm -hmm. of those kingdoms. Uh, And then the rest of the world also exists in in various ways. Um, But it's like, oh, you really want to know the backstory of how California not only split off from the United States, but then went to go to war against itself, which feels, especially these days, very prescient. There's a lot of criticisms out there. When I was putting together the book briefing, uh, I ran into some people say, you know, there's inconsistencies in how this world could have been built. And all I would say to people is go in with the mind of, I want to have a good time in this setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't go in with the mind of, this better be an accurate representation of what would happen if magicians and osteomancers <laughs> took over California at a particular point in time. And I want it to be, but like, if that's the most important thing, you might be disappointed. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, bone magicians who eat bones and cool. doing crazy things with an alternate history, then yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. So I'm enjoying it. But let's wrap up Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. Um, I feel like I finished this book so long ago at this point. Um, Well, yeah, you've finished California Bones. We haven't even kicked it off yet. I know. Uh, But we had, I guess we kind of just did. Maybe this counts. uh, Because we have have another episode next week, too, because we we got wonky with Thanksgiving. Um, And we're going to need to get our wrap up done before Christmas. So we we can call that the kickoff and we we can talk about it next week. I'll try to get far enough in that we can really talk about it next sounds good um yeah so tell me tell me about your final thoughts on on doomsday book i adored it Mm -hmm. uh all of my anger and frustration about how slow she was in in dangling things along totally evaporated when when she gave me the answers right it became very clear that she knew exactly what she was doing and she knew how frustrated i would get uh, and she assumed that I wouldn't get too frustrated that I would I'd hang up the book. And she was right. Uh, and and once the answers came in, I found them satisfying. Uh, we are going to get into spoiler territory here. And I have to say, I did not believe because I didn't want to believe that she would kill everyone in the village. <laughs> but when it was just uh, her and the priest at the and I'm like, he's going to die. He's not yeah, making it for out. Sure. Like, he's, what, he's, is he going to come back to modern day? Really? Yeah. Nah. I, I love that she tried to make me think, oh, did did she did Kivrin bring the plague in or or did she get the plague? Was it a different plague? She kept me guessing on that. Maybe I'm dumb, but she kept me guessing. And I love the idea that, no, she got sick from a coffin that was older than the village, which is why the village didn't get sick from her because that's they had how the immunity to it. That's how it works. Right. Right. If this had happened 100 years before, the immunity would still exist in this in this community mm-hmm. so they wouldn't get it but it would that immunity might wear off over the hundreds and hundreds of years before Kivrin comes along which is why she would get it but then she was inoculated against the plague so she never got the plague but they do get the plague because they haven't had the plague yet it all fell into place for me very well we did a uh, we had a great discussion about this at book club uh, on Monday 
And uh, one of the one of the things that did drive me nuts was there were a lot of loose ends that never were tied up in this book. And for me, the biggest one was the like the president of the of the university or whoever was he? he was. He just never showed up. <laughs> they never found him. Where was he? I mean, nobody I knows. Took it as a joke of like absentee presidents, where like, eh, well, we figured it out, so <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Like that was so <laughs> like, baffling. Well, yeah, that is one mystery. I it was not the most important mystery, but I'm like, oh, I wonder where he is. Every time they brought him up. And okay, then, here's yes, another. You know. Here's another weird mystery. What? What was the husband on trial for? We never found out. Oh yeah, you know what? That felt real to me. I almost didn't want to know because the, you know, the kinds of things you would be on trial for would be lack of loyalty, lack of faith, you know, something very nebulous. It doesn't have to be like some salacious crime that I'm really going to be interested in. And I was pretty sure that if it was going to be a realistic trial, it'd be kind of a disappointment. Like, Mm -hmm. ah, he partnered up with this baron instead of that baron. And that's why, you know, that's why the trial's happening. Okay. They did touch on it in more detail. And I can't remember what they said because I was like, you know what? She's not going to find out. They're not going to talk about it. And that makes sense to me that she would just never really know. Uh, We have a comment from Steve who who touched on something also that we talked a lot about, which is uh, his thread is called Damn You, Connie Willis. (laughs) One of the techniques used by Penn and Teller when doing a magic trick with live animals is to make the audience fall in love with the animal before they do something horrible to it. Sometimes it's easy, like with a bunny, which goes into a wood chipper. Bunnies are naturally cute and lovable. Other times, it's harder, like with a snake that gets cut in half. Fewer people like snakes, so it's harder to get as much of an emotional reaction. Willis had a somewhat easier task in that the villagers and nobility are human, and not much of our behavioral essence really changes, so there is natural empathy. At the same time, we know inherently that that since these people are from the 14th century, they're dead anyway, so why care? So she goes through the steps of showing these people as being very human with their own faults and virtues— she slides Kevrin naturally into the role of a nanny for Agnes and an older sister slash aunt slash mentor for Rosemond when she sees how awful she feels about being betrothed. We learn to like the contempts with their humbleness. This is put into stark contrast with most of the modern characters who are very petty and unlikable. When she killed off the entire village one at a time, each one hurt, and I felt Kevrin's panic when she realized that the scribe had bubonic plague. I thought Rosemond would recover, but nope. I thought that Father Roche would survive, but not only did he die last, we had the revelation of how truly noble he was. He never shirked in his duties in spite of Lady Elwes's, well, how do you say her name? Eloise. Eloise, nitpicking. This could be in part because he believed that Kivrin was sent to him by God, but still. The story did not end the way I was expecting, but that's for another thread. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt. Um... The the mom didn't hurt as much. I'll be honest. No, she could. She, she was, was so mean. Kind of happy to see her go. I frankly, there's you know just keeping it real. Uh, but oh, Agnes going and then Agnes going. I was like, this is the worst because I thought Rosamond was going then, and then Rosamond recovers, and you're like, oh, oh. But at least Rosamond, you know, she wasn't that bad. It was just sisterly fights, and then they he kills Rosamond. And then, like, the apple just, like, drops from her hand, and Kevin's like, oh. I let out an audible gasp when I read that part. Mm, I was really sad about the puppy. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, when the puppy died early in the book, I'm like, this is the worst. And then later on, I'm like, okay, 
I guess the, the puppy was not the worst thing. You're like that perspective, happens. Tom. Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> well, because at that point, everybody's fine, right? Yeah. So, uh, be nicer to um, puppies. That's all I guess. That's all I gotta say. Be nicer to people. I was, yeah, I, 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 I kind of did get frustrated with the back and forth of like. What did, you know, what did the engineer, why can't he just spit it out? The thing he's been trying to tell everyone, like, why can't he just, and you're like, okay, well, he was delusional already and feverish when but he entered in. it kept you guessing, like, what it is forever. it? Yeah, but that was the beauty of it. When you finally find it out, you're like, ah, oh, I get it now. I guess. Like, I, I did I find it quite clever that we had this whole confusion about did she bring back the plague? What was the sickness? Did mm -hmm. she bring back a modern flu? Is that what causes the plague? I like, didn't what know. Is had he sent her back to the wrong time? Was she 300 years earlier? Was she, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I was trying to guess all these things. And yeah, it was frustrating not to know. But that's once you know, then the frustration all, all feels like it was worth it because you finally like, oh, OK, I feel closure and satisfaction. Why was Finch so obsessed with toilet paper? It's like, <laughs> that was just funny. There were, I'm like, why were those ladies with the bells so annoying? Because they were American. Why is this guy that's a student such a Lothario? Like, why does everybody want to sleep that with him? That ended up paying off, What's though? with his mother? Like, the I know, fact that he was, you know, able to convince uh, that nurse to come and, and help out. Yeah, that's true. It all worked out in the end, mostly except for all the people who died horribly. Now, there are loose ends, and it is uh, often considered the darker of Connie Willis's works <laughs> because of the village, probably mostly. Uh, apparently, to say nothing of the dog, is much more enjoyable in the sense of being fun and lighthearted and more of the humor in it. Yes. Yeah. Michelle, during book club, um, was saying that that... These, it's part of this series. Uh, mm -hmm. They take place in the same world. There are some overlapping characters. Um, I believe Colin comes back. I believe there's there's some other people from the Oxford world uh, that come back, uh, but they're not main characters. They're auxiliary. This is why To Say Nothing of the Dog was on the pole, because even though it's the second book she wrote, it's not sequential, right? It's very standalone. Yeah. Like You can totally read them out of order. It's modular. Um, but I've heard that that one is spectacular and very funny and uh, really well done. So, yeah, if you if you liked the writing of this, but maybe didn't love the fact that everybody died horribly, uh, <laughs> maybe check out To Say Nothing of the Dog. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that's uh, we did. Ha I did have one. Oh, there is another post actually real fast about uh, time travel and paradoxes. And that's something that is dealt with a lot in the story. And Apollo wrote about it. And he actually links to a YouTube video uh, that I watched and, and really enjoyed that explains all the different potential methods of time travel and, and paradox. Um, it's, it's called Time Travel in Fiction Rundown. And it's by um, Minute Physics or Minute Physics. Minute it's Minute Physics. physics. Yeah. But this is an eight minute long video, so I would not call it a minute physics. Well, it should be video. minutes physics, yeah. Um, Unless but you can it's time great. travel. And it goes through all of the different ways that uh, fiction has handled time travel throughout the years. Some not of the biggest all. ways. Not I've said some of the biggest ways. Well, not all the biggest ways. I mean they missed what was, le what was left out, Tom? They missed, you know, a recent novel that really worked hard to handle what he calls the Harry Potter thing throughout the entire book, not oh, just part oh. of one book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What what book is that? I mean, that's it's a Pilot X. Oh, Pilot X. Yeah, your I don't book. know if you've heard of it. But. Yeah, yeah. 
How do you handle time travel? It's a good example. You can't change anything, but the universe is so vast and people's perspective is limited enough that it feels new even when you go back Mm. to a past that you, you can't change. Gotcha. Why go back if you can't change anything? Is this boring you? I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I couldn't hold it in. Red wine and just being exhausted is a bad combination. Let's get to the final thought. Uh, You found this on Twitter, it looks like. Yes. Um, This is a tweet from Ruthann Reed, and she is posting an image of a uh, Tumblr post by Just Shower Thoughts, and it says... When people talk about traveling to the past, they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. But barely anyone in the present really thinks that they can radically change the future by doing something small. We're all time travelers. I thought that was pretty deep. Yeah. I mean, part of it is that not every butterfly flapping its wings causes a hurricane. (laughs) So the small things you do... That would be horrible. We'd have a lot. I mean... That's probably the reason that we had more hurricanes this year is an increase in butterflies. That could be it. It could be it. I don't, I don't really have a better scientific reason for that st- to, I mean, to be happening. It has nothing to do with climate change and the warming of the oceans or anything like that. That's silly. That's silly. Ridiculous. All right. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Sword and Laser. Thank you for sticking with us, especially through my my sleepy tiredness post-Thanksgiving kerfuffles. Um, But our show is entirely currently funded by you, our patrons. So thank you so much to all our folks who back our show. And if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books. You buy books, right? Well, buy them through our links. That gets you the books and it helps us. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Get in touch with us. Feedback at swordandlaser.com. Visit the website, swordandlaser.com. Go to, oh, I'm sorry. My cadence is all off tonight. Go to Goodreads at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Fare thee well, time travelers of the world. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.